Second Kings chapter number six. And, uh, <clears throat> I'd like to read for you just about seven verses of the Word of God. And then we'll pray. And I want to preach to you from a very familiar passage of Scripture. Most of you are, uh, have read this many, many times. But I believe it's quite needed in this day that we live in. I believe every portion of the Word of God is needed, don't you? And I believe God believed that because He said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord, every word of God. And so if we don't have every word, we don't have everything that we need. But the Bible says God hath given us all things pertaining unto life and godliness. So I believe we have all the words that we need today. And uh, I believe we need all of them too, don't you? Second Kings chapter number 6 in verse 1, the Bible says, And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place, and he cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Therefore said he, Take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and took it. Pray with me tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to gather into your house again, to break the bread of life, Lord, to meet with you and to meet with your people. Now, Lord, I pray that you'd illuminate your word in our hearts and minds. Make it real to our lives. Lord, we don't need a figurative or a theoretical book, but we need a book that speaks to our hearts, Lord. And I thank you for the living, breathing word of God that does just that tonight. And I'd ask, God, that you'd make it real to our lives and to our circumstances. Father, if there's one amongst us that's lost and undone, I pray that you would show them their need of Calvary. Lord, one that's backslidden, that you'd draw them close to yourself. One that's haughty, they'd be abased. One discouraged, they'd be uplifted. But God, you do know the need tonight. And so we commit it under your watchful care. Bless each and everything that'll take place tonight, Lord, to your glory, to your honor. And we do ask these things in that name at which every knee shall bow. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. How many of you have read this passage before? Would you raise your hand with me? How many of you have heard it preached upon or taught in a Sunday school class before at some time? Of course, that's many of us, probably most of us. And as we read this passage, we could preach about the importance of being diligent with things that we borrowed. Amen. I think we just about need that today. Anymore today, if you loan someone uh, something, you just about have to take a picture of yourself with it in front of a newspaper if you ever hope to get it back. Somebody say amen right there. And uh, we could preach about the importance of the work of God, and certainly that's an important topic, and we'll touch on that tonight. But tonight I want us to preach particularly about this young man and the fact that he had lost this axe head. And I've entitled the message tonight, Getting Back the Cutting Edge. Can I tell you tonight that we have a great work to do for God? 
Can I tell you tonight that it's a work that all of us should be involved and invested in? Can I tell you it's a work that's going to make a difference tonight? But can I tell you that in the energy of our flesh and in our own ability, we are insufficient to do the job? As we read about this young man, the story's quite familiar. He's felling a beam. And those of you that have worked a, a farm and things like that, you know what felling a beam is. And he's working with this axe. And as he swung the axe head back, we assume so anyways, or as he swung it forward, the axe head came off and fell into the water. Now, that's probably happened to any of us that have chopped wood before. It's a scary thing to happen, amen? And uh, it goes into the water. And so the young man cries out to Elisha. And I'm thankful he had an Elisha in his life, aren't you? Aren't you thankful when things have gone wrong that you've got people you can go to that can help you to get it right? And so he loses this axe head in the water and he cries and says, Alas, Master, it was borrowed. Elisha comes and asks him, Where did it fall in? Where did you lose it at? And he points. And Elisha cuts a stick off of a tree and casts it into the water. And that famous line in the passage, The iron did swim. And the young man takes his hand out and picks up the axe head. Now you may say, Well, preacher, what in the world does that have to do with my life? Can I tell you that you and I have a... a a borrowed, if we could use that terminology, a given gift through which we are to do the work of God. You cannot do it in the energy of your flesh. You cannot do it in the exertion of your own ability. But the Bible teaches that it's not by might nor by flesh, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. You see, in this day that we live in, nothing's going to be accomplished except through the work of the Holy Ghost. You say, preacher, tonight you're exalting the Holy Spirit. No, I'm exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Lord Jesus Christ said, if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. He gave us the Holy Ghost of God to indwell in us, to convict us when we've sinned, to guide us when we do not know what we should do, but also to empower us for the work of God. Uh, Christ told that little group of disciples, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Until the Holy Ghost of God worked in their life, they were incapable for the task at hand. And you and I, brother and sister, are incapable to do the work of God until the Holy Ghost of God has every bit of us. The Bible says we're to be filled with the Holy Ghost, not to be drunk with wine. Uh, can I say that the charismatic movement has shrouded the filling of the Holy Ghost with much mystery today to the hearts and minds of many church members. But can I encourage you that it's not a mysterious thing to be filled with the Holy Ghost. It's not something that comes through much money being given. In fact, the book of Acts teaches that clearly. How when Simon the sorcerer thought he could buy the Holy Ghost of God, it's not something that is necessarily going to come through sacrifice in and of itself. It is not something that has to be gotten through great pain painstaking painstaking trial and travail. Uh, But the feeling of the Holy Ghost is very simply this. When you have emptied yourself, did you hear me tonight? When you have emptied yourself of your own ambitions, of your own self-dependence, of your own self-worth, and allow God to take over your life, you're filled with the Holy Ghost. Can I say being filled with the Holy Ghost is something that we can be at one moment and not be at the next. The Bible teaches very clearly that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is perpetual in the life of the believer. We don't ever have to worry about the Holy Ghost forsaking us. Aren't you glad of that? 
Christ said that He'll be with you and He'll be in you forever. We never have to worry about there being a time when the Holy Ghost has been grieved to such an extent that He leaves us, for He's always with us. We never have to worry about there being a time we've resisted the Holy Ghost to such a degree that He departs from our soul. We never have to worry about that. But the filling of the Holy Ghost, if it's something that can be commanded, it's something that can be disobeyed. Did you hear me tonight? If the filling of the Holy Ghost is something that can be commanded, it's something that can be disobeyed. And so tonight I'd say that the vast majority of believers, and don't think me critical when I say this, but think me a realist, when I say that I believe the vast majority of people that profess the name of Christ today are not filled with the Holy Ghost. You say, how can you tell that, preacher? Because they're not getting anything done. When the Holy Ghost takes over your life, you begin to work for God. You begin to serve God and you begin to do it effectively. Let me say that each and every born-again, blood-washed believer needs the power of the Holy Ghost in their life. Machinery is not sufficient to get the job done. Methods is not sufficient to get the job done. Oh, methods are good. We ought to have order. We ought to have uh, an idea of what we're doing. We ought to have a plan. Nothing wrong with that in the least bit. But you can have plans from here till eternity and it's not going to get the job done without the Holy Ghost. Only through the work of the Holy Ghost can hearts be softened. Only through the Holy Ghost can our words become as fire and hearts of hearers as chaff. Only through the Holy Ghost can our plans be carried out in an effective way. I'm telling you tonight, we've got to get back to the cutting edge if we're going to do anything in this day that we live in. I want us to notice a few things tonight as we read this passage. I want you to notice first with me about this young man, this situation. I want you to notice the task that there was to accomplish. The Bible says that this young man went to Elisha and said, the place where we dwell is too straight for us. Now, we assume this was dealing with the school of the prophets there in the Old Testament. You've got to be careful about schools of the prophets, amen. They're only found in the Bible one time, and when they are, death's in the pot, amen. You've got to be careful about that. But we find a school of the prophets in the Word of God. And what we find is that they were growing to such a degree that they needed more room. Can I say that growth isn't a bad thing? It seems like you have two types of people in the world. It seems as though you have those that vest all of ministries worthwhile in that of outward growth. And you have those that recoil from outward growth as though God is not able to deal in hearts as greatly. Can I tell you that neither of those things are true? I find in the Word of God that God can use a big crowd like He can use a small crowd. I find in the Word of God that when there were a church of Jerusalem grew to many thousands that God scattered them, but God had grown them too, Amen served a purpose. I find that only two people sold out to Jesus Christ were described by the Pharisees as having turned the world upside down. Growth's not a bad thing. In fact, as we speak of reaching people for Jesus Christ, I believe that next to the glory of God, reaching people for Jesus Christ ought to be our chief concern. You say, preacher, do you mean something's more important than, than reaching people for Jesus Christ? The book of Ephesians teaches us that. That our purpose in this world is to be found unto His praise, honor, and glory. You say, why is that important? Because if you get the ox before the cart on this, you'll do anything to get people through a church door. You'll compromise anything, even to such a degree that you'll compromise the gospel because the cross of Jesus Christ is an offense to a lost soul. And then what are you winning them to? You're winning them to nothing but a social club. It's worthless. It means nothing. 
But if our chief priority is the glory of God and being found under His praise, honoring glory, and upholding uh, His name and exalting His word, you'll find that you'll have the right path and the right plan for reaching people. So the chief purpose of the New Testament church is to be under His glory and praise and honor. The chief work, though, is to reach people. It's to exhort and encourage the saints and one another, but it's to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'd say, first of all, that this is a crucial work that's being done. It was necessary that this place be built. The work of God was going to be hindered without this work being accomplished. And can I say that the work of God and the service of God is a crucial thing? Now, you say, preacher, of course it is. But we live in a day of what we might dub casual Christianity. Can I be your best friend for a moment? And can I tell you, the casual Christianity ain't going to get the job done. Oh, Curtis Hutchin, you say nothing ever was accomplished for God with spare change or spare time. It takes sacrifice. We've got to get out of this mindset that God's welcome in our life as long as He don't intrude into our business. And that's the mindset we've got today. We don't mind being at church if it don't interfere with our business. We don't mind neighbor giving as long as we've got enough that we can meet our bills. We don't mind witnessing to someone as long as we don't feel like we're going to embarrass ourselves. That's casual Christianity, see? That's an attitude that as long as I can do it without it costing me anything, then, Lord, I'm happy to serve you. But this is too crucial of a work for casual Christianity. And casual Christianity just ain't going to get it done. You find me one casual Christian in the Word of God that did anything for God. One. What you find is men and women that were willing to forsake all and follow Him. What you find is men and women in the Word of God that were willing to be cast into prison, beheaded, sawn asunder, of whom the world was not worthy. That's what you find in the Word of God. This business of I'll get to it when I get to it isn't going to cut it. We've got to get serious about serving God. We've got to be willing to launch out into the deep if we're going to see Him fill our nets. We've got to be willing to step out in faith if we're going to take His hand. We've got to be willing to get serious about it. Because this right here, this is a crucial work that we're in tonight. I want you to notice that not only was it a crucial work, it was a collective work. The Bible says that every man, every man felled their own beam. Every man cut their own tree. Every man had their own job to do. You know what plagues, and, and, and let me just say, let me pause for a moment, and let me say, take Walridge out of the mix with what I'm about to say, because I don't want you to think I'm poor-mouthing or complaining. I'm not. We have a wonderful group of people, awful proud of the sacrifice and hard work that they make. But I, I just want to make a plain factual statement. You know what is a common uh, misconception and a common plague to churches that are about our size? This notion that the preacher is the only one that ought to be serving. Now, take Walridge out of the mix. I'm not talking about me. I'm not talking about our church. I mean, if it hits you, it hits you, but that's not what I'm aiming for. I'm not saying that's what's going on here, but I'm saying that is a common plague, that it's the preacher's job to witness. It's the preacher's job to go out and get people in church. It's the preacher's job to minister to others through the Word. And I'll agree, it is the preacher's job, but can I say it's everybody's job too? It's all of our jobs. You'll find that if the church will collectively work for the cause of Christ, a lot more will be accomplished 
than only one person. It's not just preachers. Sometimes it's put upon deacons or trustees, men in the church, pillars in the church. Sometimes it's put on people's families. Sometimes it's put on people's friends. But what we have to learn to escape is this notion that someone else will fell my beam. There's a work for you to do. There's a work for you to do. I was talking to Brother Cliff, I guess it was, the other day, and we were talking about Cornelius and Peter. God sent Peter to Cornelius. But we might also say that God gave Cornelius to Peter. Cornelius was Peter's responsibility. Wasn't Paul's responsibility. Wasn't James' responsibility, John's responsibility, Philip, Nathaniel's. God sent Peter to Cornelius. Peter had a job that only he could do. Do you know, I believe in every local church, there's a job for each and every one of us to do. You say, but my job is not one of those where I get up in front of people. So? Is that why you're in this thing? You say, I was doing a job and somebody looked at me funny and looked at me cross-eyed and upset me. Are you in it for them? Or are you in it for him? You say, I was serving God, but someone upset me. Well, boo-hoo, get over it. We're adults, amen? That's nice, isn't it? It's nice, boys. Remember, if God ever calls you to preach, be a nice preacher. You won't get the job done, but it's sure a lot easier. Boo-hoo. You don't quit your job when somebody upsets you. Come on. You don't throw your family off when somebody upsets you. But we do it to the work of God. Why do we do it to the work of God? Because we're casual about it. We're casual about it. Hey, preacher, you're being harsh. You're being mean. No, I'm being realistic about this thing. I've seen for far too often people put everything in the world above Jesus Christ. You say, preacher, does that upset you? You better not worry about upsetting me because you're not going to stand for the judgment seat of Toby. But you're going to stand for the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the things done into the body. And a lot of us are going to have nothing but a house of cards built out of our excuses, excuses, and God's going to strike the match of judgment and throw it to our life, and it's going to burn up and mean nothing. And we're going to look at it, and there's a lot of us going to get to heaven with nothing but a salvation testimony. A lot of us are going to get to heaven. We're not going to have a single crown. You say, I don't need a crown. You'll feel awful silly when the rest of us are casting them at his feet. Yeah, you'll need a crown. You'll want a crown when you get there. We've got to get serious about this thing, and it's a collective thing. And I promise you, let me give you a little math, basic math. I'm smart. You know that, Charlie. I'm, I'm, a, smart, I'm a sharp guy, okay? And let me tell you something. Do you know that if every single person in this room, every single person, was to invite someone to church next week and encourage them to come, maybe make a phone call throughout the week. That's okay, right? We can call people to gossip. I think we can call them to invite them to church too. Make a phone call and encourage them. And pray, 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 and actually get someone to come through the doors of that church. If every one of us did that, we'd have twice as many people here next week, right? You say, preacher, preacher, you're poking fun now. No, I'm showing you how easy the work of God is if we'll all do our part. We'll all do our part. We see that it's a collective work. But I want to show you a third thing very quickly. I want you to notice with me that it was a commissioned work. Look at verse 2. The Bible says at the very end of it, uh, Elisha speaking to these young men says, And he answered, Go ye. Hey, you say, that's super simple, preacher. Yeah, let's get it. Good and, good and, good and right, okay? This was a work. 
that the heart of God wanted to see accomplished. God's put us here for this. Neighbor, you draw a breath so that you can bring glory to God and serve Him. If you're not serving God, you know, there's a lot of things we can do in our life. You know, there's a lot of things we can do in our life and still serve God, too. We can serve God and spend time with our family. We can serve God and go to the lake. We can serve God and go to the ball game. We can serve God and do a lot of things in our life. And yet we find ourselves doing all the other things and neglecting the one that God has put us here for. That's the very reason you're breathing right now. It's to serve God. The reason God let your legs function this morning, let your arms function this morning, the very reason is so that you could serve God and do something for Him. It's a commissioned work. He sent you to do it. And He's got a group of people. I'm convinced of this. As much as I'm convinced the sun's going to rise and set, I'm convinced that there is a group of people God has put in your life that nobody but you can reach. Isn't it silly? Isn't it silly? That God has put people in our life and in our way that we know intimately, that we see on a daily basis, and we'll talk to them about everything except the one thing that matters most, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see that this was a task to be accomplished. But I want you to notice not only we see a task to accomplish, but we see a tool given to apply. I'm thankful that we don't have to do it on our own and don't have to do it in and of ourselves. But I'm thankful that God has given us a means through which we can reach people. I'm glad God's given us a means through which when we get wrong, He lets us know we're wrong. I'm thankful God has given us a means through which when we're wrong, He lets us know how to get right. And that is the person of the Trinity, the Holy Ghost of God. Do you know that the Holy Ghost is just as much God as God the Father? Somewhere along the line, some well-meaning preacher drew some kind of a pyramid with the Holy Ghost at the bottom. And we've been saying it ever since. Amen. He's not the third part of the Trinity. He is a part of the Trinity. He's just as much God as God the Father, God the Son. He's just as important to the work of God as God the Father and God the Son. And we find, now listen carefully, we find that this young man had a sharp, heavy, cutting tool to give force to his energy. He swung the axe, but it wasn't his swinging that got the job done. Most of you know, if you've ever chopped wood, that you take that axe and you swing it, but they don't make axe heads out of plastic. Wouldn't it be smart if it was our energy that chopped that wood, Ralph, if they'd make the the head of the axe out of plastic? You'd think you could swing it faster, wouldn't you? But you see, it's not your energy that is getting the work done when you're chopping wood with an axe. But rather, it's the weight and the force and the velocity and that cutting edge of that axe head that gets the job done. Let me give you a very simple illustration. It's us that does the work of God. Uh, The Bible teaches very clearly that Christ is not with us bodily in this world. And it's us that speaks the gospel to others. God is not going to speak it in an audible sense. It's us that goes and sees others. You've heard the poem many times. Christ has no hands but these hands, no feet but these feet, no mouth but this mouth, no ears but these ears. And so it's us that does the work. But it's not us that gets the work done. There's a weight and a sharp cutting edge in our lives that gives power and influence and effect 
to the work of God that we do. And that's the person of the Holy Ghost. I want you to notice first off that this tool was a leveling tool. It got the job done. Man, neighbor, and I, I just, I, again, I'm not against all the planning and machinery and methods you want to have. But until we get this in our head that if God doesn't do it, it's not going to get done, we're never going to do anything for the Lord. Until we get to the place that we understand that if we don't get a hold of God and if we're not in tune with Him and in submission to Him, we're worthless in this world. Until we get to that place, we're never going to see anything done for God. Never have we lived in a day of so much machinery and methods. I mean, my goodness, uh, think about it, Ralph. we got a tower. we got two of them up there in that sound room. And I mean, before you leave now, if you'll wait for about 10, 15 minutes, before we leave tonight, we could have you 21 copies of this message here tonight. 21 that you could take and give out to people. we got more gospel writing and literature. We have the collective literature of the past 200 years. And, and more than that, some of it goes back farther. Never have we lived in a day with mass printing when so many people are writing books and writing gospel tracts. You can make a phone call to, to a place in Milford, Ohio. Most of you know Bearing Precious Seed. You can order, uh, as uh, or Fellowship Track League, rather, I'm sorry, and you can order thousands of tracts at your beck and call for free. Never have we lived in a day with the Internet when we can send things all the way across the world. But never have we lived in a day where there's less of God's work being done than we do today. Never have we lived in a day when the church was so anemic. Never have we lived in a day when lost souls were so irreverent and unfearing of an almighty God. What's happened to us today? I'll tell you what's happened. We've lost the cutting edge. We've lost the very thing that allows us to accomplish the work. You say, preacher, are you saying we've lost the Holy Ghost? No, I'm saying we've lost the power of the Holy Ghost. That's what I'm saying. You say, but preacher, we're still swinging the handle. Good for you. But that tree ain't going to come down. You whacking the side of it with an old hickory stick. And you know, that's what a lot of churches are doing today. Listen carefully, and, I, and, and this when I study this, it convicts my soul, because I don't want Walridge to be this way. I mean, I want if I can be nothing else to you as a pastor, I want to at least be honest with you. I at least want to be real with you. I, I mean, I don't, one of the, don't want one of these that has a straw man and has a paper tiger and pretends like we're getting something done if we're not. I mean, I at least want to be honest with you. And let me tell you what a lot of churches are doing today. A lot of churches lost the axe head a long time ago, and they're just sitting there slapping the bark. Every once in a while, a piece of bark will fly off and somebody will say, Glory! Every once in a while, they'll really hit that bark straight and true and they'll say, Hey now, neighbor, look, they'll get in preacher fellowship say, Look how straight and true I hit that bark. Am I right? They'll say, Look how straight my axe handle is. I've got the straightest axe handle that there is. Nobody's axe handle is straighter or harder than this axe handle. I mean, my axe handle is right down the line. Like what old Leonard Ravenhill said. He said, you can have doctrine straight as a gun barrel and just as hollow. we got people in this world that are just sitting there smacking the tree. piece of bark will fly off. They'll say, Amen. They get frustrated. They'll start smacking the side of that tree louder. But neighbors, she ain't never going to come down until we get the cutting edge back. We're never going to get the work of God accomplished until the Holy Ghost has every bit of our lives 
We're never going to get it done until God is in the midst of this thing. We see that it was a leveling tool. We see that it was a loss tool. We see that it was a loan tool. I'm glad that I don't have to work for the Holy Ghost. In fact, if I'll just quit working, that's when the Holy Ghost will show up. You say, preacher, are you saying God honors laziness? No, I'm saying God does not honor the energies of our flesh and our own ambitions. I'm not saying we quit trying. I'm saying we quit trying it our way. When we get to the place, boy, there's nothing sweeter than, than Friday night. I'm, and I mean that. I know I talked about it this morning. You just, you, you just give me a moment. Hey, wouldn't, wouldn't you rather have a pastor that instead of talking about how debt free and what the bank account was, that a prayer meeting meant a little bit more to him? I hope that you would. Because it means a lot to me. And I'm not saying that to brag on me. I just, I just want to say I don't feel bad about bragging about an all night prayer meeting if the Lord's in it. And that all night prayer meeting, man, that meant a lot to me. Why do you think we had a service like we did this morning? Are we so dense that we think it was just a coincidence? Now, I'll tell you what happened. God's people got on an altar and prayed and asked God to show up. And you know what God did? He showed up. <laughs> he showed up! And He did a work in hearts. God answers prayers. If we could just get that truth, it'd change our life. God answers prayers. I was telling my wife on the way to or from the restaurant, I can't remember, I don't talk much leaving the restaurant because I'm afraid if I do, you know, I just, all that food, you know. But we were talking and I said, man, isn't it wonderful to have a God that answers prayers? Have you ever had a Roman Catholic talk about answered prayers? You ever heard a Muslim talk about answered prayers? You ever heard a Jehovah's Witness talk about answered prayers? Only a Bible-believing Christian do you ever hear talk about answered prayer. You know why? Because they're the only ones with a God that hears and answers prayers. And let me tell you something, neighbor. We need to get to the place where we understand that prayer is the key. Prayer is the key. You say, I thought the Word of God is the key. The Word of God can be made of none effect in men's lives. Isn't that right? can be made of none effect in men's lives. That's what the, uh, the writer of the epistle said. You've made the Word of God of none effect. You say, I, I thought the key was good preaching. All oh, preaching is worthless without the power of the Holy Ghost on it. So I thought it was about witnessing. Witnessing is important. But who was it that led Philip to that Ethiopian eunuch? Till we get to the place where we understand that prayer is our access to the throne room of God. Prayer is our means of humbling ourselves to such a degree that the Holy Spirit of God can have all of our lives and the Spirit of God can work through us and in the lives of others. We're worthless. We've got to understand it's not us. It comes from Him. It's not us. It's Him. And you know, the flesh hates that. The flesh hates it. The flesh wants to say, if you'll preach a good enough sermon, God will move. But that ain't how it works. And the flesh wants to say, if you'll have a good enough program, it'll work. But that's not how it works. No, it's not by might nor by flesh, but my spirit. By my spirit. That's what the Lord said. We see it was a loan tool. But I want you to see, not only do we see a task to accomplish, and do we see a tool uh, to apply, but we see a technique to acquire. Well, I'm thankful, even though they had lost that axe head, there was a way to get it back, aren't you? I mean, I'm thankful. I'm thankful when we get wrong, there's a way to get right. Let me tell you something, neighbor. I would have been derailed probably about two minutes after I got saved if there wasn't no way to get right again. <laughs> I mean, I'm thankful there's a way to get right. 
when you've gotten wrong. Maybe you're here tonight and you know the Holy Ghost of God doesn't have as much of your life as He should and would. I want to give you three things that I think are imperative. Look at verse number 6 with me. And the man of God said, where fell it? Boy, that's important. I want you to notice first off that he recognized his trouble. That young man took Elisha and he said, right here is where I lost it. Let me tell you the first step getting your life back in step. You go to the last place you had it. That's simple, isn't it? You go to the last place that you had it. You say, what's it? You know what it is. It is the filling of the Holy Ghost because you were in complete and total submission unto Him and He had all of you. And the power of God was on your life for you to witness to others and to be an influence to others and to pray and get answers from God. That's what it is. We clear? (laughs) Amen. You go back to where you lost it. You go back to where you got out of the will of God. You go back there and you say, Lord, this is where I lost it. What do I need to correct? I I just kind of tend to believe that when it comes to our relationship with God, Ralph, our relationship with God, now, as a servant, as a son, I'm not talking about as a sinner. I'm thankful that he, our iniquities and sins he'll remember no more. I'm thankful for that. But I'm just convinced when it comes to our fellowship with him that the Lord doesn't let things go. Is that all right to say? You all right with me? Let me tell you why. Because the Lord does not prohibit anything in your life except what will harm you. And for him to allow something in your life without you correcting it, would be an example of Him not showing love towards you. And I kind of believe in our life, when we've sinned and done something wrong, I kind of believe that thing's not took care of till it's took care of. I don't believe it goes away. You say, preacher, I'm sure I've done things that I can't remember. Oh, I promise you, if that's standing between you and God, the Holy Ghost will bring it to your mind. Oh, Charles Finney, I'm not, you know, Charles Finney was a holiness preacher. I know he is doctrinally not everything that he ought to be, but he had God on him in a big way. And so I I just kind of like to listen a little bit to what he has to say. And he used to recommend this, if you're trying to see revival in your heart and life and in your church, that, that it'd be a good thing to sit down and confess your sins to God and to write them out. And he said, you'll find that if you write out the things that you've done when you've sinned against God, you'll find that you'll run out of ink before you'll run out of things you've done. (laughs) And I've found in my life, it's just like with prayer requests. If I write out my prayer requests, at some point I usually have to stop because my hand starts to cramp. God just continues to bring things to your mind, and that's a good thing. And I think when we're confessing our sin to God, not to a man, by the way. Do you know the Bible never commands us to confess our sin to another man? The Bible commands us to confess our faults one to another, but never our sins. And so as you confess those things to God and write them out, you'll find that God will continue to bring things to your mind that you've sinned and done wrong. But, I, you know, I just kind of believe what it's going to take Is this going to take whatever that wedge is? I'll tell you what a lot of people are trying to do. A lot of people are trying to get their relationship right with God without repentance. A lot of people trying to get their relationship right without repentance. I remember when I was uh, growing up, when I was young, and and I would... I only did this once or twice because I got whipped when I did it. (laughs) Amen? (laughs) That fixes it, right? Amen? 
So I quit doing this. But I, I would, I, I did something wrong one time. And I, kids are smart. You know that? Kids are the most conniving, cunning, deceptive. I'm not talking about you all, but that you'll ever find. And so I got this idea in my head. I'd done something wrong. And so I, I thought, I know what I'm going to do. When dad comes and he's about to whip me, I'm going to run up to him and I'm going to just wrap my arms around his waist and I'm going to hug him. And I'm going to say, Daddy, I love you. And uh, I ran up to dad and I said, I wrapped my arms around him. I said, Daddy, I love you. And he stepped back. He said, you're still getting a whipping. <laughs> a lot of people doing that in their relationship with God. They got sin in their life and they know it, but they're trying to just pray on through without ever getting it settled. Right? A lot of people in their life, they have sin in their life. And they know it's in their life. But instead of confessing it to God, they get down on their knees and they talk to the Lord and they say, Lord, I just want to thank you for this wonderful day. And I think God sometimes is thinking, you know, I'd rather you just confess your sin and get it right. They say, Lord, you're so good to me. I kind of think he says, well, that's true. But, you know, you, you ought to confess that sin and get it out of your life. We've got to go back to the place where we lost it. We've got to recognize where it was our life went off the tracks and get it settled with God. We see that he recognized his trouble. I want you to notice the second thing. <laughs> he required the tree to get it right. Look at verse number 6, the end of it. It says, And he cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. I wondered about that for a long time. And then I had one of those hillbilly epiphanies. You ever had one of them? Where God shows you something so simple, you think, I'm, an, I'm a moron for not saying that. And I thought, what is this? He cut a stick down and threw it in where it was at. You know, and then it dawned on me. That stick came off of a tree. I got to thinking about another tree in our life that's vital and important. The Bible says, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Christ bore our curse for us. See, the tree pictures the crucified life. Not only of the life of our Savior that was laid down for us, but the life Paul spoke of in, in Galatians 2.22 when he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's saying, I've laid myself on a cross. I have laid my ambitions my self-reliance and my defiance upon a cross. And I've given everything over to the Lord. When you find that place, I'll tell you what you do. You take that sin and you nail it to the cross. You say, Lord, whatever it's going to take to get your power back on my life, Lord, that's what I'll do. Lord, if it means losing friends, your power is more important to me. Lord, if it means making a fool of my flesh, your power is more important to me. Lord, if it means admitting I'm wrong to others, your power is more important to me. When the crucified life is placed into a Christian's walk, it immediately places him in the presence and will of God. Let me tell you something. There's circumstances surrounding the will of God. You know that? The will of God, the will of God for my life at this moment is for me to pastor Walridge Baptist Church. I know that. But really, what is the will of God? 
What if I were in a circumstance where I could not be here and pastor? Would it be any less the will of God? We could have a theological debate for hours about this. But really what the will of God is, is the crucified life. The will of God was exemplified in our Savior when He prayed in the garden. And He said, Lord, if it be Thy will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but Thy will be done. That's the will of God in its most basic element. Being in the will of God means accepting the will of God, whatever it is. Will of God is a varying thing for very many people, at least the particular will of God for our lives is. Your will of God probably isn't going to be the same as my will of God. Ralph, if it was the will of God for you to pastor Walridge, we'd probably have to talk about that at some point. We couldn't avoid it, you know. So I'm guessing the will of God is probably going to be different for your life than mine. But if you want to say, preacher, how do I find the will of God? You banish and vanquish your will. And that's when you find the will of God. That's what the crucified life is. Paul said, nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Paul says, when I vanquished my will, I found his will. When I crucified myself, I found him. When I came to the end of myself, I found the beginning of God. That's the crucified life. We find in this passage that it required the tree. I want you to notice a final thing. Look with me, and I'm going to hush after this, I promise. He retrieved the tool. You know why he picked that axe head up? Because he planned on getting to work again. There's some of you who have lost the axe head in your life. Put it very plainly, there's some of you that are not serving God that could be. You say, preacher, are you saying that because I'm not doing this or not doing that? No, I'm saying that because I felt like the Holy Ghost told me to say that. And I don't know who it is. I mean that very, very honestly. don't know who that might be. Because serving God is not something that's only done within the walls of the local church. It's the primary place it's done, but it's not the only place it's done. So that could be anybody and everybody. And I mean that sincerely. Some of you have lost your axe head. Some of you have lost the power of God in life. Maybe you're still serving, but you're just trying to whack that hickory stick against the side of that tree. Make as much noise as you can and feel like you're getting the tree coming down. But tonight, I promise you, there's a place where you can find it. I don't know where that place is in your life where you've gone astray from the will of God. But I know that we do have a place where you can get started. It doesn't have to be at that altar. That's as fine a place as any. But on the altar of your heart, that's where it begins tonight. And if God spoke in your heart, I implore you and beg you, Just submit to Him. That's all we ask for around here. You know that? We don't ask for a lot of show. We don't ask for a lot of of, uh, people jumping through hoops. All we ask for around here is that you'd mind the Lord tonight. And if God spoke in your heart, as she comes to the piano with her heads bowed and eyes closed, the altar is open, and I invite you to come right now as I pray.